You're listening to Radio Looks Listed. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me today for episode 49. The title of this episode is The Pope's Migrant Invasion. So, I wanted to say before I get too far in here, welcome to anybody, uh, everybody who's watching on uh, the live stream version of this. I'm live streaming on Twitter and on DLive as well as on YouTube this week. So, uh, welcome to uh, to any and all who uh, who are listening that way. Well, uh, here I am, uh, and once again, it's uh, it's 12:30 on a Sunday morning, and I'm finally just getting around to doing the Saturday uh, live stream podcast. I know it's my weekly struggle with uh, with getting things done uh, in in a timely fashion, and and this week, you know, oddly enough, I didn't have um, I didn't have anything specific I had to do today. It's one of the few days, few Saturdays, I didn't have anything scheduled. And uh, no, no scheduled projects or things like this. So I, I used the day to get some stuff done that I haven't gotten done for a while. Got some cleaning done, which was was nice. Got uh, got a few technical things taken care of uh, on my uh, computer and and with my my tablet and uh, some things of that sort. So it was a productive day, but you know it's funny. You can sit here and you can have an entire day free, and you think you're going to get all of this stuff done. And, and at least in my case, I find I only get, I don't know, I get maybe fifty percent done of of what I'd hope to get done. It's amazing how the time flies. It it, it really is. Yeah, and I'm always like that on vacation too. You know, I schedule. You know, I I get a get a vacation. I'm getting all getting get all this stuff done, and I I, I never get as much done as I, I plan on. I do get things done. It's not that I don't get things done, but it just, it seems like I'm always wildly optimistic on, on how much I'm going to get done. Um, well, anyway, uh, you know, and then there's the other thing here with me too. And I've, I've been this way my entire life. I, I think I've got a touch of, uh, of ADD, you know, kind of, kind of like that movie was that, uh, that movie a few years ago, uh, um, uh, up, you know, and the, the dog, he's like, squirrel, yeah, squirrel. You know, and and I'm, I'm a bit like that uh, ADD, what's that, attention deficit disorder. Yeah, I remember as a, as a kid, when I was growing up, uh, sometimes we would have these projects we'd have to do when I was in school. You know, and you had to do a research project or something. And this goes back to when I was, you know, maybe in fifth, sixth grade, this kind of thing. And I remember we had to go down to the school library, and and you know, you'd have to to do some research. And you know, you typically start with an encyclopedia or some kind of a general reference book like this. Uh, th- this is way back in the day. Okay, there wasn't any internet here. We're talking in the late seventies. Um, the, the internet was simply kind of a thing in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember reading as a kid, um, when I was maybe in about fifth or sixth grade, I remember reading this thing, and this is again in the late 70s, and, and it said, oh, you know, one day you'll be, everybody will have a computer, and you'll be able to go, go on the computer, and you'll be able to go shopping and get library books, and I thought, oh, well, that, that's a bunch of hooey, that, that, that's never going to happen. And of course, they were talking about the internet, and uh, which had been invented uh, in the the late '60s, and it was around, but it was in sort of very highly specialized. I think the, the military had some use of it, uh, some things like this, but it wasn't something that was widely available to the general public at that time. And it would be, you know, until I think about 1995 or so is typically the year when they say the internet got started. Uh, so we didn't have an internet back in the day. You know, you just had books. I know, very, very, very old school. Um, kind of a thing. And I remember I always had this problem when I would go and, and start doing research. You know, I'd maybe crack open an encyclopedia or something, and I, I'd start trying to find the article or maybe an article that was on the topic I was looking for. And I'd always get distracted by these other things. I'd say, oh, this looks really interesting. I'd start reading about this, or this looks really interesting. I'd start reading about this, and then I'm you know off on some some tangent that I, I completely forgot what it was. I was actually there, and, you know, and what I was supposed to be doing. I did everything. It looked. I think I read everything, but the stuff I was supposed to read. And uh, and I've always been a little bit like that. And I know this this evening I kind of got drawn into to watching a couple of videos. Um, I got got sucked, and I found this 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 video channel. It's a YouTube channel with this um, one fellow. He does uh, videos talking about the the Titanic and, and some different aspects of the sinking of the Titanic. And, and I've always been fascinated by that, and he, he does them very well. I mean, they're they're very uh, very interesting uh, sorts of videos. And I kind of got sucked into binge watching that. And then I got uh, uh, there was an art there was a, a video. It was about an hour long video. It was on the uh, a B seventeen called the Memphis Bell. And uh, you know, there was a movie made on that uh, about that. I don't know. It's been fifteen or twenty years now, or longer than that. I, I don't know. It's been a while. 
Uh, but it was this, it was a, a B-17 bomber in, in World War II Europe. And a pretty famous plane, but uh, I guess it had deteriorated the, the condition of it had. And they packed this thing all up and they shipped it up to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, which isn't too far from where I live. And I didn't know this. And they, they restored this thing. Uh, it took them 12 years to do it. And they uh, uh, I think it's on display at the uh, the Air Force Museum up there. It's been a long time since I've been to the Air Force Museum. But it was, it was very interesting. It was kind of a combination. You know, they, they talked about some of the missions the plane flew. They, they'd cut to that and they'd have a... a they they talk about some of the uh, the things the crew members went through, and then of course, and they cut to the uh, the current day where they're doing the restoration of the airplane. It was, it was all very interesting, very well done, um, kind of very uh, very fascinating to look through this. But I'm kind of a sucker. I've always been kind of a World War II buff. Uh, that's another thing I remember from back when I was a kid. Uh, I was always uh, kind of a World War II buff. So when I saw that, and I just I kind of started watching. I thought, oh, I'll just watch a few minutes of it, and then you know, like half an hour later, I'm sucked into it and I can't stop. So anyway, those are my excuses for why I'm late here this week. Um, so anyway, um, the uh, let, let's get on to uh, today's topic here. I had mentioned uh, I t- called the title of this uh, the Pope's migrant invasion, and uh, you know it's been a few years since I've really done a lot with uh, with uh, with immigration. I know that I had talked some about immigration quite a bit. Um, I don't know three or four years ago. I know I, I wrote uh, wrote quite a bit about that on my blog. But uh, the last year or two, I haven't written as much about it, and I haven't really done much in the way of, of podcasts on the topic either. But this is becoming a a bigger issue all of a sudden. the the uh, The policies of the Biden administration, or maybe the Biden regime. I don't know. Maybe that's a better word for it. But uh, whatever whatever you want to call the the current uh, government of the United States. Um, they have uh, really unleashed a uh, a flood, and and the policies that they have unleashed with uh, or, or enacted, whatever you want to call it, uh, with immigration, are causing and are going to cause in the fairly near future, I think, some very significant problems uh, politically. And economically, some of this could really backfire on the Democrats. And I think that in some of the reading I was even doing today on this, there were some congressional Democrats that were a little bit concerned uh, about what's happening, because I think with you know, people are going to start seeing, and right now we're just seeing the leading edge of this massive influx of migrants and immigrants and uh, and refugees, and it's going to cause a lot of problems. I mean, we're in a country right now where you have uh, massive unemployment, depression level era uh, levels, depression era levels of unemployment, depending on who you talk to. Uh, um, but there's there's massive unemployment. Just this past week, there are over eight hundred thousand uh, initial jobless claims. That is a disaster, and it's been consistently like that now for really the better part of a year. Massive unemployment, massive business closures. I mean, this isn't just like things where you know, businesses are are, are are a little bit slow. I mean, there are, are massive destruction of the economy of the United States of America that's brought about not, as the headlines say, by COVID. COVID did not shut a single business down in this country. It's the overreaction of the government that has shut businesses down. And and I'd like to blame it all on the Democrats. I mean, I'm a Republican, so I'd like to say, oh, it's all the Democrats' fault. But it's not all the Democrats' fault. Uh, the Republicans have had a hand in that as well. I think the Democrats have been worse on the issue. Uh, I'll say that. But the Republicans have not been very good, um, by and large, on the issue either. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of blame to go around on this. Um, but uh, when you've got an economy that's in in serious trouble, and then you're importing millions of people, uh, or legalizing millions of people the way the uh, uh, the Biden people want to do it. It's it's not a good not a good combination, and and I think it's going to be uh, be interesting to see how this goes here over the next few months. And I, uh, Lord willing, I intend to follow this this story pretty closely. But uh, yeah, this past week the uh, uh, the Biden administration they they released uh, or they introduced something called the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021. Uh, CNN describes it as a sweeping immigration bill, and in my opinion, there there are two basic objectives to this bill, at least two. Now, there may be more than that, but there's at least two. Uh, One of those is to import a constituency for the Democrats. I mean, that's what they want to do. Um, they want to import all of these people, and and, and these people uh, they expect will reliably vote Democrat, and they they probably will. So, I mean, there's there's that. 
So they're importing a constituency. You know, it's kind of like dissolving the people and electing a new one, uh, as uh, someone once said. I think uh, there was a, an immigration writer. Uh, was I, th- I think it was uh, Bertolt Brecht. I think he was a German uh, uh, a, a German uh, writer, and and of course that was a play on the uh, on the uh, what's that the I think it's in the de- Declaration of Independence, you know, where it talks about the people have a right to uh, dissolve a government and elect a new one, and he was talking about the government dissolving the people and electing a new one, and and I think that's a bit of what's uh, what's uh, the the attempt is on the part of uh, in particular the Democrats, but really just I think the establishment in general. Uh, I think they seem to have a disdain for Americans. Um, and, and they, I guess they, they want, uh, they think somehow they can, can do better with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, importing people and, uh, that they're cast the votes that, uh, that Americans won't cast themselves. Um, certainly that's, uh, seems to be the strategy of the Democrats. Um, uh, so there's, there's that, I mean, they want to import it in an overwhelming democratic constituency. And the second thing too, is, is I think that this bill certainly aligns the federal government's immigration policy with that of the Vatican. And and this is one of the things that has been a, a tremendous frustration to me, is that it's just obvious that one of the biggest, and maybe actually, I, th- I think you could probably make the argument that the single biggest promoter of mass taxpayer-subsidized immigration, migration, and refugee resettlement is the Vatican. This is policy of the Vatican. And and they make no bones about it. I mean, they, they practically scream it from the rooftops and yet almost nobody notices. And, and, and not only does nobody in the mainstream media seem to notice this, but even people in the, the alternate media. You know, I'm talking, when I talk about alternate media, I'm talking about people like me. You know, people who, you know, do live streams on, on Twitter and DLive and people who, you know, make podcasts and people who write blogs. Very few people point out the very obvious 500-pound gorilla in the room, and that is the the Pope's very aggressive um, use of immigration. And we're going to talk a little bit about why why the Pope does this. I mean, it, it really ties back into to the the economic uh, and political philosophy of of the Roman Catholic Church. I've talked some about that. Uh, I've gone through, made some YouTube videos. I need to get back to doing this, by the way, but I'm making some YouTube videos of uh, based on John Robbins' book, Ecclesiastical Megalomania, and and he talks about the the collectivism of the Roman Church State. You know, that is that the uh, the Roman uh, the Roman Church State believes in, in collectivist economics. The the basic philosophy of of the uh, the Roman Church State economic philosophy is fascist. Um, that's if if we want to be be specific about it. Now I'm, I don't want to get into specifics on that right now, but essentially the Roman Catholic Church is is fascist in their stance on economics, and and they're globalists. In, in terms of their politics. In other words, they, the, the Roman Catholic Church is the single biggest promoter of globalism, of world government. And again, this is not something that's a matter of speculation. You can find this in document after document after document, whether you're talking about uh, things that uh, the popes have said or other very high officials in the Roman Catholic Church. They constantly promote globalism. They constantly promote one world government. And they're very clear about this. I mean, there should be no, uh, there's not even any debate about it. And that includes this pope, uh, Pope Francis, we're talking about. He's a big promoter of world government. And of course, mass immigration, uh, mass migration is, is uh, it, not only is it, is it a consequence of the, the economics and politics of Rome, but it also it's, it's uh, one of the tools that they use to further those things. And uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we go through the uh, the presentation here tonight. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's take a look at a few things regarding the the Pope and immigration. Now there was a one story that uh, that really caught my eye here this past week. Just a moment, I'm gonna get a little drink here. Got my hot apple cider. That, that uh, I think I mentioned that last week. Boy, I, I love that stuff. That, that's. Uh, it's a little Keurig thing that you can make, and uh, and that's uh, that's just the best. Anyway, uh, but there's a story that uh, that I saw here this past week. It's a headline. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. But this is from a uh, a uh, TV station in El, in El Paso, Texas, 
And uh, the headline reads, Pope calls on faithful to help migrants achieve new life. Francis sends letter to Juarez Catholic Diocese reflecting on his 2016 visit. And just kind of kind of reading through a little bit of this here. It says, Pope Francis has sent a letter to the Bishop of Juarez, reminiscing about his trip to that Mexican border city five years ago. I keep alive the memory of my visit to your border city and the celebration of the Eucharist, Francis said in his letter to Juarez Bishop Jose Guadalupe Torres Campos. Now, I had the opportunity to visit uh, El Paso, visit some of the, the brethren in uh, in El Paso, and uh, I got to see uh, Ryan. And Ryan Denton, if I, I, in fact, I just uh, just interviewed Ryan and uh, posted that uh, that interview earlier this week. Uh, Ryan is the uh, the uh, open air preacher, and uh, in fact, the title of that uh, that episode it's episode forty eight. Uh, Radio looks this at episode forty eight, and it's titled uh, "Interview with Ryan Denton, uh, op- uh, Open Air Preacher." And I'd encourage you to listen to it. It was a great interview. It was really uh, great to catch up with Ryan and, and hear his comments. And it was it was a great interview. It was a lot of fun. It was a great blessing. And uh, and I think you're you're enjoy that uh, enjoy that interview. So I'd encourage you to to take a to check that out if you haven't yet. But uh, when I went down to uh, to El Paso, one of the things that you learn is that the Juarez and El Paso are right on opposite sides of the border. It's basically just almost like one big metro area, but El Paso is on the American side and Juarez is is on the uh, on the Mexican side. And Juarez is a big city. Um, I think. Gosh, uh, I'm trying to think now. I want to say maybe it might be up to two million people. I remember at night when you you'd stand out and you would look south from El Paso, that you could see all the lights of Juarez, and they just seemed like they just extended all out as as far as the eye could see, almost to the horizon. I don't know if they quite did that, but but it, there were, it, it's a big city. It's not just a, a little town. I mean, it's a it's a substantial uh, city. Juarez is. And the Pope back in 20, in February 2016, he went that and he held mass and, and he talked and he really pushed the whole migrant immigration thing, uh, at that time. And, and, and so now he's reminiscing about this in this letter. And, um, the, uh, let's see here, uh, The uh, the Pope, and this is something that he said here in, in the, the letter that he just wrote this year, looking back five years, uh, but he said they, he's talking about the migrants, I, I, I take it, or our brothers and sisters have gone on the road in search of hope and a new life that we cannot take away from them, but instead work with them to achieve it. Now, one of the things that's interesting here you know, is the Pope, you know, and you hear Roman Catholic officials say this kind of thing, you know, whether you're talking about the Pope or cardinals or maybe the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. They're, they're always right in this plural first person. We cannot afford to do this. We can't, or we need to do this, or we must do this, or we're obligated to do such and such a thing. Uh, but they never quite specify who the we is. And, and so Francis here, he's talking about the we, but he never really states who, who he's talking about. But you, you kind of get the context of it. Um, you know, he, he means, he means the American people, uh, who are expected to pay the freight for the migrants by having their taxes extracted from them. Uh, and at the same time, they have no, no say in the matter. We must do this. You know, we, we are, are obligated to do this is essentially what the Pope is saying. And, you know, if you as the American people don't say, want to have your country uh, run over by massive migrant caravans from, uh, from, from Honduras or, or wherever, well, that's just too bad. You, you just, your job is to, to be quiet and to, to fork over the money and, and to take your beating because you deserve it. Because these other people need to have, uh, food, clothing and shelter and you have an obligation to provide it to them. Now, all of that, that need and obligation that goes back to a, an economic idea of Rome. It's called the universal destination of goods. And the universal destination of goods, I don't want to get too much into that in detail right now, but if you want to have maybe just a general inkling about what it means is, is the universal destination of goods says that need is the sole criterion uh, for possession. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you uh, own something, you know, whether you constructed it, whether you um, purchased it, you know, however you came across that property, you know, if if you don't need it, 
You know, if you so-called supposedly have, you know, uh, property in excess of what you need and somebody else needs it, well, then then you are obligated to give it to them. And if you won't do it yourself, well, then the church is going to make sure that the government takes your property and gives it to somebody else. Uh, this is, you know, so that's kind of the theory and practice of the universal destination of goods. And again, John Robbins talks about this in, in some very fine detail in his book, Ecclesiastical Megalomania. If you don't have that book, I'd strongly encourage you to get it. It is the best book, period, on the economic and political thought of Rome. And you will not understand the, uh, the, uh, the, the Pope's theory and practice of immigration until you read that book. Or I should say this, maybe you can understand it, but you, you will understand it much better having read uh, John Robbins' Ecclesiastical Megalomania than if you just try to figure things out as you, as you read through uh, various statements by, by Vatican officials or, or church officials. Um, moving on here, let's see. Oh, you know, it's worth mentioning, too, and this is kind of interesting. Um, you know, the, the Pope is, is reminiscing, talking about Auld Lang Syne here. He's, he's reminiscing about on his February 2016th trip to, to Juarez. Well, it was, it was in that February 16th trip to Juarez, and it was the aftermath of this. When he was on the jet flying home, he was having this, this press conference. And uh, during that time, he, uh, the, the Pope, uh, Pope Francis, uh, Jorge Bergoglio, um, I guess doing business is Francis the first. Um, uh, Bergoglio, he said, "Quote: A person who thinks only about building building wall uh, building a wall wherever they may be and not building bridges is not Christian." Now you have to understand kind of the uh, the context in which he said that. Remember, this is February of 2016. It was in the last presidential election cycle. Okay, and who was running for president in 2016? Donald Trump. And what was Donald Trump talking about in 2016? He was talking about building a wall, build that wall. I mean, that was one of the key components of his his 2016 presidential run. And very clearly, the Pope was taking a shot at, at Trump. Now, Francis didn't mention Donald Trump by name, but it's pretty obvious from the context and from his words uh, you know who he was talking about, and it was interesting because uh, Donald Trump shot back at the Pope, and he he called his comments disgraceful and and said some other things. And I remember just being absolutely amazed um, at Donald Trump at that time. And and I, I have to tell you, I wasn't wasn't a huge uh, Donald Trump was not my my first pick going into 2016. Um, uh, Rand Paul was actually the guy that I was hoping that would, would carry the nomination, but Rand Paul seemed like he was more interested in not being his father, uh, Ron Paul, than he was in, uh, uh, in, in, in trying to, to build on his father's legacy. I, I think, I think Rand Paul did not run a good campaign, uh, in, uh, in 2016. I was actually disappointed by it. Now, I, I think Rand Paul is, is a fine senator, and, and I appreciate a lot of his stances, but he did not run a good presidential campaign in 20, uh, 2016, and, and he really never never caught on with the voters. I mean, he was always in the 1% or 2%, you know, when, whenever they would do the polls. Uh, he never really got anywhere close to the top uh, or ever really seriously uh, challenged for the nomination in 2016. But Donald Trump, I mean, Donald Trump went out and Bam! I remember that in the summer of 2015 when he announced his candidacy, and he shot right to the top of the polls, and he never relinquished that. And and one of the reasons why is because he spoke to concerns that Americans had, legitimate concerns uh, about uh, about uh, about the immigration policies of this country. And you know, even though he didn't get done everything that he said he was going to get done, he did have some very nice wins on immigration. During his uh, during his four years in office, but that was actually when I really started to get interested in Donald Trump because he shot back at the Pope, and and I'm, and I'm thinking I have never in all of my life ever heard a, a made you know like I'm a national a politician of national status at any rate ever fire back at the Pope. Nobody does that. I mean, that's like tugging on Superman's cape. You know, there's that old song. You know, you don't don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You know, you don't do something else, something or something, and you don't mess around with Jim. I think, is that an old Jim Croce song? I don't know, something like that. But you just don't do that if you're an American politician. But Donald Trump did. He went there. And I, I was blown away by that. And I thought, mm, you know, maybe this is somebody that uh, that I could could get behind. 
And, and that's when I really started to actually get interested in, in Donald Trump as a candidate uh, when he fired back at the Pope. Now, you know, going on with this, you know, the whole, you know, the whole thing with uh, the Roman, the Pope, and not just the Pope, but the whole organization, the whole Roman uh, church state, uh, and, and their support, their, their treasonous support, really, of, um, of, of mass immigration. Another uh, entity within Rome, and this is the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, the USCCB, um, they really are immigration uh, traders. I mean, what they what they what they advertise or what they advocate uh, is is immigration treason. It is destructive of the United States of America. It furthers the interest of Rome, but it is destructive of the United States of America. And and this is something. And and, and they do this constantly. And nobody, no nobody, nobody or hardly anybody ever points out their treason. Uh, and one of the best ways to get a sense of the intensely treasonous immigration position of the USCCB is just to read their press releases. You can just go out the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. They've got a, a website out there, and you can go to the the news, uh, the press release area, and, and and they put out press releases usually a few times a week. And I would say generally, there, there's the, you're you're find anywhere from you find at least every month at least one immigration. Uh, based uh, press release, and typically more than that. You might get about one a week. Um, so you, you might say on average, I don't know, anywhere from from uh, one to four uh, immigration-related press releases per month. And I can tell you after having looked at these for several years, and I've saved, I don't know, a lot of these going back several years, I have not, I have yet to find one single press release from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops where they ever took the side of the American people. Now, of course, again, if you know something about Rome, you would expect that because, of course, Rome has always hated the United States of America. It's a large, successful, historically at any rate, Protestant nation. And it, it's an embarrassment to them. It's an affront to them um, philosophically. And, and they very much uh, have sought to, uh, to bring the United States down to, I mean, they they took the side of the uh, the the, uh, the Confederacy during the Civil War, you know, divide and conquer. Um, and of course, you know, the philosophy of Rome supports slavery. So, I mean, that's that's another reason why I'm, I'm sure that they they took the uh, uh, the stance they did during the Civil War. But you know, the the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is a treasonous organization, and their their treason is obvious in so many areas, and it it shows up. Um, very clearly in in the uh, the area of immigration, and there, there are just a, a few press releases that they've put out just in the times that Joe Biden has been president. And you can just read through the titles on these things, and you can see what I'm talking about. Here's one. This is back on January 21st. Now remember, Biden was inaugurated on on January 20th. So this is the very next day. The USCCB Migration Chairman welcomes the administration's initial effort to reform enforcement and protect families. And, of course, what this really means, by the, when they talk about reforming enforcement and protecting families, as they mean, un, you know, loosing a flood of uh, immigrants, migrants, and refugees on the American people, which the American people are going to have to support uh, through their taxes and all of the, the massive welfare programs that go along with this. There's a second release, and this was also done the very same day, January the 22nd, 2021. USCCB chairman welcomed the end of ban prohibiting immigrants and refugees from certain Muslim-majority and African countries entering the United States. Of course, the fact that that ban prohibited uh, immigrants and refugees from certain Muslim-majority and African countries from entering the United States, the fact that those countries also had a high level of terrorism in them, um, you know, that doesn't matter to the bishop. So, I mean, if, if, you know, people come over here and, you know, engage in, 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 in violent activity, well, you know, I mean, that's just the, the, that's just the price that the American people have to pay, um, in, in the eyes of the USCCB. There was one, just, just to give you a, a sense of this, there was one guy, um, that was brought over from Somalia. This was back in 2014. He was brought over by Catholic charities. So the government actually paid Catholic charities. Uh, which is a uh, one of the the refugee resettlement organizations. They got they they make a lot of money uh, off the United States government. So they bring this guy in from Somalia. He initially was in Dallas for a few months. Then he went to Columbus, Ohio, where there's a a, a Somali community, and he uh, 
enrolled at Ohio State, and then I, I don't know. One day he decided to go jihad, and he uh, he rammed his car into a crowd of people and got out and started slashing away with a machete. And he he was shot and killed by the uh, um, by the uh, the Ohio State uh, Police Department. Yeah, so he didn't kill anybody. This this would be terrorist, but I mean, you know, this was a guy from Somalia, which is one of the countries where there was a a ban on uh, on refugees uh, by the Trump administration. But you know, I guess the the Roman Catholic Church wants to to bring more people like that, and and they're fine if you know if if they destroy American lives. I mean, that's that's I guess just the price in their opinion that needs to be paid um, for us to fill our so-called obligation. Well, which I, I, I don't think that there is one, but, but Rome does. Um, here's the third, uh, third example. Um, this is also a press release from the USCCB on January 21st, 2021. USCCB president and migration chairman welcome in administration's commitment to DACA and the call for legislation on immigration reform. So, you know, again, you know, this is, this is a call, uh, to flood the country, uh, with immigrants, migrants, and refugees, and also reward people who've broken the, the American immigration law. You know, that is what's going to happen uh, with this. And, and of course, just, um, just this week, as I had mentioned, the Biden, administ- the Biden administration or the Biden regime, maybe we should call it, um, you know, they have announced this thing called the, uh, oh, what they call it, the Something or another, yes, the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, and so that and that's that's going to encompass all of this stuff that the bishops are so excited about. Um, now, uh, one thing that I, I think is worth worth noting here, I've, I've mentioned some of this, uh, some of the immigration skullduggery of the uh, Roman Catholic officials, and I mentioned the fact that you very rarely ever see anything in the press, either the mainstream press or the alternate press, criticizing Rome properly for this. But every now and then you do see something. And this is an article I've quoted before, but I, it's, a, it's such a good quote. I think I'm going to go ahead and use it again here. Here's what uh, this is. This is from the Washington Post from uh, September seventh, twenty seventeen, and uh, the headline. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and show the headline here. Let's see here. Get this on here. Okay, here we go. Um, Bannon Catholic Church needs illegal aliens to fill the churches. And it starts off here. Stephen K. Bannon, President Trump's former chief strategist, lashed out at leaders of the Catholic Church in the United States who condemned the president's recent decision to phase out Obama-era program and has allowed nearly 800,000 undocumented immigrants who were brought to the country as children to gain temporary legal status. He's talking here about DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. That's what D-A-C-A, that, that's DACA. That, that's what that stands for. And, of course, Joe Biden wants to... Um, uh, wants to reward uh the uh the DACA recipients but we'll 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 uh stay on stay on topic here we don't get too far afield but uh uh Bannon went on to say this he said he said uh oh yeah here it is I'm going to read the quote here. This is a quote from Steve Bannon. Unable to really come to grips with the problems in the church, they need illegal aliens. They need illegal aliens to fill the churches. End quote. Bannon said in an interview with Charlie Rose that will air on 60 Minutes on CBS on Sunday. It's obvious on the face of it, said Bannon. And Bannon added, they have an economic interest. They have an economic interest in unlimited immigration, unlimited illegal immigration. And then the interviewer cut Bannon off and said, that's a tough thing to say about your church. That was Charlie Rose. Uh, to which um, Bannon responded, quote, as much as I respect Cardinal Dolan, that's Timothy Dolan, and the bishops on doctrine, this is not doctrine, Bannon responded. This is not doctrine at all. I totally respect the Pope and I totally respect the Catholic bishops and cardinals on doctrine. This is not about doctrine. This is about the sovereignty of a nation. And in that regard, they're just another guy with an opinion, end quote. Well, um, you know, I, I think Stephen Bannon is a, I, I don't know whether he's just being politic here and you know, and doesn't want to to get in trouble with the bishops, or maybe he really believes that. I I don't know, but but the you know what what the cardinal and the pope and and the bishops say about immigration is doctrine. It's you know the you know it, you you can't say on one hand that the uh, the pope is, uh, you know the the vicar of Christ on earth, and then say well well when, when he talks about doctrine, I believe him, but if he talks about immigration, eh, he's just some other guy with an opinion. No, that that's not how the Roman Catholic Church treats. 
the uh, the papal pronouncements. Now they put up with that to some degree because I think it's in in Rome's advantage to do so. Um, but you know, if Rome is ever in a position to enforce these kinds of statements, believe me, they're going to make sure that they're, they're going to make sure that people understand when the Pope talks about immigration, he's talking about doctrine. You know, there, there's not. You know, they they try to make this separation, but but there really isn't uh, any. Um, so I, I would disagree with Bannon there, but um, I think he's quite right to summarize Rome's uh, Rome's position here on on immigration. That they have they have an interest in doing so. They have an economic interest. They they want to fill the churches. That's certainly one of the reasons why they they take the stance they do on immigration. Now I want to give another quote here from Steve Bannon. This is quote is a little bit later. It's um, yeah, about nine months later. This is uh, from an article in uh, Newsmax. And it's uh, it's dated uh, June seventeenth, twenty eighteen, and and here's the headline: it says Bannon, Catholic Church, one of the worst instigators of open borders policy. Now he's absolutely right about that, and let's read here what uh, what Steve Bannon has to say here. Uh, there's a, quite a good quote in here. Um, ah, yeah, here we go. Down toward the bottom, he says this. This is Steve Bannon. The Pope, more than anybody else, has driven the migrant crisis in Europe, declared Bannon, who is Catholic. The Catholic Church, I've gone, uh, the Catholic Church, I have gone after New York Archbishop Cardinal Timothy Dolan. The Catholic Church is one of the worst instigators of this open borders policy, end quote. And, and again, Bannon is absolutely right. Uh, there's no question about that. They are one of the worst instigators of the open borders policy, maybe the worst, in fact. And again, this is coming from somebody, from Steve Bannon, who is himself a Roman Catholic. But, you know, some of the best critics of the Roman Catholic Church are themselves Roman Catholic. You know, you think a little bit about um, Lord Acton in the 19th century. Um, he wrote some just devastating critiques of uh, of the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, he was even hired by... Um, a Presbyterian publication to write some pieces on, uh, uh, you know, against uh, against Rome. And uh, Lord Acton, uh, John Emmerich, Ed, John Emmerich Edward Dalbert Acton, he's usually known as just Lord Acton. He was uh, he had a his father was English, his mother was German Catholic, and he followed his mother in in terms of religion. He was a lifelong member of the Roman Church State. Um, but he was also one of the fiercest critics in the 19th century of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and uh, you see some of the same kind of thing here from Steve Bannon. Here's another um, uh, critic of uh, of Rome. In fact, I'm going to hold this up here to the camera. This is actually from a book. Um, it's called, uh, let's see if I can get a, get that in here, get that in the, in the frame a little bit better. Uh, there we go. Um, so it's called uh, it's called Open Borders Inc. and this is a uh, this is a book by uh, by Michelle Malkin, who's a pretty well known columnist, uh, conservative American columnist. Michelle Malkin is a Roman Catholic as well, but in her book, uh, she has quite a bit uh, in her book about uh, criticisms of the Roman Catholic Church and their their promotion of of mass uh, taxpayer funded uh, immigration. Let me just read a, a paragraph here to you. This is from her book. Uh, Open Borders, Inc. This is page 86. So this is Michelle Malkin here. Quote, I was raised Catholic, but the words of the current Pope and past Popes on America's immigration policy are not gospel. Pope Francis has issued apostolic exhortations citing the Old Testament to justify open borders, such as Exodus 22:21. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him. Fill yourselves with strangers in the land of Egypt. Yet he ignores a multitude of biblical examples of leaders from King Asa to Nehemiah to David who built walls to protect their lands and people, with the Lord's approval or at his specific behest. Pope Francis further counsels every other sovereign nation to implement a program of open-ended hospitality for welcoming the stranger in the spirit of St. Benedict. To date, however, the pontiff has not instituted such a policy in his own nation-state and thrown open the gates of Vatican City to any and all strangers seeking refuge. Even worse... His eminence takes a far more radical position of not only demanding that we admit every asylee, refugee, claimant without question, but also that every economic migrant be allowed onto our soil. The only proper attitude for a Christian toward illegal aliens, he proselytizes, is to stand in the shoes of those brothers and sisters of ours who risk their lives to offer a future to their children. 
Well, you know, here's the thing with, with the Pope. I mean, when he gets out here and he starts preaching, that was a good paragraph. And Michelle Malkin, again, is, is Roman Catholic, I mean, she, as she stated there. But one of the things, anytime we get into a discussion of immigration, especially when you're hearing from people like the Pope, they're always constantly talking about the the all these things that that uh, are rightfully belongs to the immigrants, all these these hopes and dreams and what have you about them. Well, well here's the funny thing. What about the hopes and dreams of of the American people? You know, when, when it, whenever the Pope or, or any official from the Roman Catholic Church talks about immigration, the the one group of people in the entire world who don't matter uh, are the people of the United States or the the people of of any other country um, that they want to flood with with migrants. Uh, you know, Steve Bannon talked about uh, the stance uh, of the Pope on on the European migrant crisis over the last few years. And the Pope has constantly been out there flacking more migrants, more migrants, more migrants, without even caring the slightest whit what it does um, to the people of the nations that, that he wants to, to send the migrants to. And, of course, he himself, uh, the, you know, the Vatican City, doesn't take any migrants in. You know, he reminds me, he's just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. You know, Jesus talked about the Pharisees and how they would tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's backs, but they themselves wouldn't lift so much as a finger to move them. Well, that, that's the Pope. You know, I mean, the, the Pope is a, you know, and, and he's a phony just like, uh, just like the Pharisees were phonies. You know, but he likes to posit and, and uh, primp and preen before the cameras about what a great humanitarian is. But he himself doesn't want to lift a finger to, to suffer the uh, uh, lifting the burden um, for any of this stuff. You know, he wants you and me to do it. You know, he wants to sit up there and make all these great grand humanitarian pronouncements. But as far as actually paying for it and, and suffering the consequences of it, no, it's not going to come anywhere close to him. He's not going to lift a finger to bear that burden. Now we talked some there about the uh, uh, about a couple of Roman uh, Roman Catholic witnesses criticizing the church. I wanted to close today with talking about immigration. I wanted to close um, by uh, by talking about a a, uh, a Protestant witness on, on this subject. And the uh, the writer of this particular article I'm going to discuss, and I think you got to have it up there on the screen. This is a an article, and I think it. Yeah, I think you could maybe this might be the best single article that I've read by a Christian on the subject of immigration. And the title of it it's called Romanizing America Through Illegal Immigration by Pastor Ralph Ovidal. Now, I know he used to have a, a program. I first got familiar with him when I was listening to uh um he was on Sermon Audio, and I remember there was a, a gentleman, a fellow that I, in fact, I interviewed him uh, a year or two back, and I probably need to get him back on the program again. His name's Alan Wall, uh, but he is a uh, he is a Protestant. Uh, I believe he's a Baptist, and and he uh, he's one of the very few evangelicals out there who gets it on immigration, who really does understand that what's being done to our country and these immigration policies that are being promoted by people like Joe Biden or the Pope or George Soros or these other people, uh, that these are not Christian immigration policies, but these are destructive of our nation, they're destructive of the American people, and and this stuff needs to be uh, spoken against, and it needs to be stopped politically. You know, and, and as Christians, we have an obligation to speak out against these things. And uh, Ralph Ovidal is, unlike most evangelicals today, Ralph Ovidal is not deceived by what the Church of Rome is. He understands that it's it's the Babylonian harlot. He understands who Antichrist is. He understands that the office of the papacy is the office of Antichrist. He gets this stuff. And not too many Protestants in our own day do get that. Uh, but but he does, and I really appreciate the work that he does here. His uh, article is really a specifically focused on critiquing um, a, uh, a document that was put out by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. It was called... Uh, Oh, it was back in uh, in 2006. It was called, yeah, Strangers No Longer, Together on the Journey of Hope, a Pastoral Letter Concerning Migration. Now, I've written some blog pieces about this. I'm not going to go into that in, in great detail. I just want to read you a couple of paragraphs out of this article to kind of give you a flavor of, uh, of uh, what, uh, <clears throat> what uh, Pastor Ovidal has to say. So he says this, quote, I've been talking about this situation. He's talking about the, the Romanizing of the United States. Um, 
This situation for years on my Heart of the Matter program because of the social, political, and most importantly, spiritual effects that the alien invasion is having on America. It is unfortunate that very few people have been concerned with the religious aspect of this issue. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, Pastor Well, that's absolutely right. Very few people have been concerned with the religious aspect of this issue. Over the past few years, I've spent some time pointing out that the Roman Catholic Church is aiding and abetting the criminal invasion of America from Mexico because the illegals are almost all Roman Catholics. And of course, this ties in, you know, we just talked those quotes from Steve Bannon. He's talking about, you know, yeah, they want to flood the country with, with, uh, with immigrants because they're Roman Catholics and need them to fill the pews and, you know, and therefore, you know, increase their, you know, the, the, the clout of the, uh, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church in the United States. So yeah, this, this you know, he's he's talking about this. And this article was written back in 2006, but it's still very timely. It's still excellent. I'm going to put a link to this in the show. And if you've never read this article, I recommend you read it. And if you've read it, go back and reread it because this is really good stuff. And uh, so let's see here. Over the past few years, I've spent uh, time pointing out that the Roman Catholic Church is aiding and abetting the criminal invasion of America from Mexico because the illegals are all are almost all Roman Catholics. That church state which maintains political, diplomatic relations with the UN, the EU, the Russian Federation, the Organization of the Liberation of Palestine, and 174 nations around the globe is working both legally and criminally on behalf of a movement, the goal of which is to bring as many Mexicans into America as possible so as to eventually take over a large chunk of our nation. This multifaceted movement made up of radical organizations such as La Raza, the race, Atzlan and Micha is called Reconquista. Roll my eyes there. Reconquista, uh, which is just reconquest. Um, and, and he goes on here and he, he explains, um, explains how all of this works. And, uh, there's one particular quote in here. Remember, let's see if I can find it here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here we go. This is a quote from a, uh, from a, I'll just read the paragraph here. Um, so he's he's citing some examples of uh, of the kind of thinking that exists within the Roman Catholic Church about uh, immigration to the United States from from Mexico and and from other uh, countries in Central America. So, quote, of course, the Catholic bishops are the generals in the offensive against America's sovereignty, security, and Protestant identity. The thousands upon thousands of diocesan and religious order priests that are the frontline troops who are charged with turning rhetoric into reality. As might be expected, the priests tend to be even blunter than the bishops with regard to the Catholic Church's human rights work on behalf of illegal Mexican immigrants. For instance, consider this from priest Paul Marx as quoted in the well-respected Catholic paper, The Wanderer, May 6, 1987. Quote, America is a dying nation. I had to tell the Mexicans when I'm down in Mexico to keep on having children and then take back what we took from them, California, Texas, Arizona, and then to take the rest of the country as well. End quote. So, yeah, in fact, let me go, let me go on here. I'm going to read a little bit more of this here. This is, this is such good stuff. And this is Ovidal. He's continuing. He says, quote, As is plain from that quote, the Vatican's corrupt campaign to funnel illegal evangelizers into America did not start in 2003, but it is increasingly out in the open, more aggressive, and more anti-American. For instance, the 2003 pastoral letter of the Mexican and American bishops openly declares uh, the xenophobic and racist attitudes of those Americans who are demanding an end to the alien invasion from Mexico. They are also outraged that our border patrol would actually arrest individuals criminally crossing our borders. Alarmingly, migrants are tr often treated as criminals. The bishops echo the shrill charges of the leftist Reconquista crowd when they speak of reports of physical abuse of migrants by U.S. Border Patrol agents and claim that the U.S. record of handling undocumented, uh, unaccompanied minors from Mexico and other countries is shameful. So I'll stop myself there at this point. I, th I think you sort of get a flavor of this article. And... You know, of course, and this is even back in 2006, you know, so, so, you know, these, these, uh, these bishops, these priests and what have you, you know, they get out there and, and they, they, they encourage and they push this massive flood of, of illegal immigration in the United States. And then when somebody says, um, you know, there's a little bit of problem with that, you know, they, this stuff shouldn't be happening. And they say, ha, you, you must be a, you have to be a, a, a white supremacist. You have to be a racist to, 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 to take that stance. And so, you know, they, out comes the shaming language. And, and so, I mean, you could, can import all these people, uh, to, to the benefit of the Roman Catholic Church and all the socialists and the Democrats and all this other stuff. But if anybody says anything about it, well, then you can, can shame them into silence by calling them a racist. I mean, I guess that's great work if you can get it. 
um, you know, it's about time the American people developed a backbone. I mean, we need to develop a back. We, we need, you know, I, I, there's that verse, and I think it's what is in Proverbs somewhere. It talks about, you know, that the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know, and I think part of the problem, I think the problem, not part of it, I think the problem here it, with, with the American people, I'm talking here specifically to my fellow Protestants, is that we, and I wrote about this some last week in, in my blog post, and that is that, you know, our unbelief is coming back to burn us. You know, I mean, we have, you know, you know. I think uh, John Robbins mentioned a, or uh, paraphrased or quoted um, R.L. Dabney from the 19th century when he said, you know, R.L. Dabney remarked, you know, way back in the 1800s that, uh, that Protestantism was in real trouble. And, you know, we've gotten to a point here in, in the last hundred years since the progressive era, uh, what have you, I mean, Protestants have have turned their back on the Lord. You know, we we have abandoned the faith. You know, we no longer believe that the Scripture is the un, inerrant, infallible Word of God. We no longer believe that justification is by faith in Christ alone. We've abandoned these doctrines. You know, we've gone on. We've turned it everyone to his own way, as the uh, as the prophet Isaiah said, and we're paying the price for it. Um, you know, and, and now when, when somebody, all somebody has to do is just say, say the word racist and, and everybody goes and, and, and turns and flees. You know, we run away. We don't have any moral courage. We can't, can't stand up and say, no, uh, the American people have legitimate interests in putting a stop to this kind of thing. Um, it's not racist to, uh, highlight the fact that the current immigration policies of the current uh, presidential administration are going to seriously damage the American people. And it's okay to point that out. The American people have legitimate interests. Um, the American people are not here to provide welfare to the world. That's not why we're here. Um, and anybody who suggests that, uh, <clears throat> whether it's the Pope or the USCCB or some politician or academic, you know, they are promoting um, really treasonous ideas and, and they need to be, uh, refuted and, and their, their proposals need to be, uh, need to be stopped politically. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really high time, as I said, that as the American people, uh, we need to get a backbone. And, and I say this, especially to my fellow Protestants, we need to get a backbone and we need to learn how to stand up and rebuke these people from the word of God. So anyway, that's uh, that's all I had to say here for this week. I, I had so much more I wanted to talk about here, but I got into this immigration mode. And I thought, yeah, no, I'm just going to stay focused on this one topic. And, uh, and anyway, I, I think that's uh, that's quite enough for this week. So I wanted to just say thanks for listening. I really do appreciate that. I really enjoy doing uh, doing these uh these uh, podcasts and uh, doing these live streams. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, and I hope that, uh, Lord willing, that you, uh, you learned something from this and it was, uh, was a blessing to you. Um, you know, and uh, if you do, you know, subscribe to my, uh, uh, my blog feed, subscribe to my YouTube feed, give me a like, give me a thumbs up there. I'd appreciate that. And uh, I will uh, we'll see you next time. So until we, we talk again next week, uh, may the uh, God of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study this word. Good night, everybody.